from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, hello, hello. Wherever you are out in the world, welcome to Signs of Life. This is our daily live stream show where we're coming live to you from all around the country, bringing light and life and uh, bringing some resolve into your day that you're here on purpose. You are going to get past uh, the sorrow and the despair of this moment. God has something more for you and we're all going to come through together. All of us are here uh, playing our parts. We're a part of a movement called American Awakening, and we believe in like awakening to a a new way to be now. If you're a faith or not a faith, we can do life together. Uh, We're supposed to do life together. That's what we believe. And uh, we're excited for uh, post uh, quarantine. Hopefully, you'll see more of us outside of boxes. But uh, until then, this is what you got. So I'm here with my boys, and uh, every day we start off our show with some worship uh, from our brother JBJ. Josh, what you got for us? I see the King of Glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. Polar shakes, yeah. I see his love and mercy washing over all I see. The people sing. Yeah. 
Thank you, Josh. And thank you again to all of you regular folks who watch us every day. Uh, you will notice we are missing two of our key folks here. JK, our fearless leader. We love you, Guy. We know you'll be back. And Pastor Joel. Pastor Joel is out today as well. But do not fear. The daily dose is going forward all the same. And Brother Calvin is going to bring that two-minute daily dose. Calvin, what you got for us? All right. I'll do my best to uh, to make Joel proud. So yeah, he's been talking about radical togetherness over this week. And I just wanted to give my reflections on what that means for me and what it could possibly mean for us in this moment where there is so much strife, so much tension, and so much pain. So I want to point us to a story that I love. It's the story of Hosea and Gomer. So for those who don't know, I'm going to do a quick little read back. There's this guy, Hosea. Um, He's a prophet. He's a man of God. And God asks him to go marry a prostitute. You can imagine uh, Hosea's response. He's probably like, come again, Lord. But the Lord's like, yeah, I want you to go marry a prostitute. So he goes, finds a lady in the red light district, and then marries her. And they have a beautiful family, three kids. But one day he wakes up and she is gone. So imagine him coming down in the morning, nowhere to be found in the house, checks the bathroom, checks the kids' rooms, and she's gone. She's gone. And so he, he searches the city. Um, looking for her, and he ultimately finds her on the selling block, back into the sex slave trade. And so in in that moment, he he hears God's voice telling him, hey, go buy her back, pay the price, and then renew your vows to her. Um, Make her your wife again. Now, this story, again, powerful story of, of grace and love, but the reason why, I mean, ultimately, the story of Hosea and Gomer is foreshadowing the life and death of Jesus, which comes 750 years later. And so it's it's a foreshadowing of this ridiculous, scandalous love, right, that, that yeah, doesn't ignore the pain, but in fact, um, in Hosea's case, sits in the unfaithfulness, sits in the betrayal. In Jesus's case, you know, it sits with the reality that he knows that Peter is going to bail on him three times. It sits in the reality that he knows that Judas is going to betray him with a kiss. And sits in the reality that he knows that the Roman soldiers are going to nail him to the cross. It sits with all of that, that pain, that suffering and sorrow, with the betrayal and the unfaithfulness. And it says, you know what? I will still choose you. I still want to love you. I'm still coming for you. That in itself feels like the the potency and the power of the gospel. And so what does that mean for us today? And I'm just going to point us to a a verse, um, 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us us, the church, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What does that mean for us? For the church, we know this radical togetherness because we've experienced it first. God was the first one to do this radical us thing with us. He chose us when we didn't choose him. We chose us when we turned our backs on him. We chose us when we disowned him, when we walked away, even when we hurt him. And yet still he chose us. And so what would that look like for us, the church, to model that, to, to love others the way that we were first love, you know, that, that scandalous love. And so I think Perhaps that is a call for us in this church in this very tense and, and painful time. That is the Daily Dose for today. Joel, I hope I made you proud, brother. And uh, over to you, Marissa. 
scandalous love. I don't will never understand the height and depth and width of his love. That's real. Well, thank you, Jeff. Something to chew on. What you got for us? I mean, it's gonna be hard to follow up that. Calvin just brought the heat, you know? Calvin, I love that. That was so good. I think uh, the, the thought I'm having this morning is something I've been chewing on is day seven in the creation narrative of Genesis. So, you know, if you're familiar with the story or not familiar with the story, very beginning of the scriptures, you see that God creates this beautiful world. Heaven and earth are kind of the symbiotic relationship. There's plants, animals, trees. The image bearers is the crowning act of creation on day six. And then there's this day seven where it actually says God rested from all the work that he had done. He called it good. And he kind of just stops and ceases and just blesses it all essentially and calls it holy um, and separates that day. Now, when we look on that week, I don't know about you, but when I grew up and heard that, I kind of thought it was semi-arbitrary. It just kind of seems random of like, okay, that's cool. That sounds like you stopped and just look at it and it's awesome. But um, there's been some really beautiful scholarship done around that day that that in the context of the ancient Near East, that wasn't just an arbitrary like, okay, we're done. Let's just sit on the couch. Um, but it was actually a very particular um, kind of tone or theme to match other ancient Near East texts, right? And back then, it was really common when a temple was being built that what do you do on the last day of a temple being built? The last thing you do on the last day of a temple being built is you hold this kind of inauguration ceremony, right? It's kind of this ribbon cutting ceremony where you invite this God to flood flood the temple with his presence. You kind of, you know, conjure it up and invite it down. Now, what we see in Genesis, as John Walton sees, is we see similar tones there, but we see also some radical differences. The one is there's no temple, right? The, the, the writer of Genesis is trying to conjure up these temple imagery but there's no actual building. So what's going on there? And he says, might it be that God is trying to say that the creator of the universe, the true God, actually sees earth as his temple. And that day seven is the day where he creates and blesses it and then actually wants to come down and be with his image bearers, be with his creation and flood the earth with his presence. I think of, you know, I'm a huge Mariners fan, Seattle Mariners. And I remember like, I think it was 1997, 1996 when they built their new stadium and they literally have, it's called the inauguration game or the inauguration ceremony. And it's this empty stadium. They cut the ribbon and it's this huge celebration or 50,000 people then rush in this stadium for this huge party. And I think Sabbath, I think day seven, I think rest should be seen a lot more like that as this inauguration ceremony, this day to flood the earth with God's presence, the day to flood this earth with uh, his blessing and goodness and his love. And so that's something to chew on for today is don't see rest specifically as something that's random or arbitrary or just in there, or maybe it's a good idea that you would do it, but it's actually a cadence and a rhythm that we should enter into to actually absorb and pull down God's presence and then give it out to our neighbors, give it out to our loved ones, and allow that to just go through us where we flood the earth with God's presence. And that's his hope and that's his joy that he's trying to do from the very beginning of scriptures all the way to Revelation is to flood the earth with his presence. He's not leaving us. He wants to actually come down and be with us. And it's going to take some work to do that, but he continues to do that and does that in Jesus. So that's something to chew on for today. And back to you guys. That's so good. The idea of, of rest and um, sort of learning how to incorporate that and work from that and everything. Right. So now quarantine, people are in their homes. And, you know, even if even if you're not working at home, if you're sort of cooped up and maybe all you can do is kind of rest, I guess, when you're not anxious or something. How would you have people kind of appropriate that now? How should we be thinking about yeah. that now? I mean, I think don't conflate just the fact that you're sitting there with your heart actually at rest. That's the biggest problem. You know, a lot of people, I would say people are just as anxious, just as hustled, just as hurried, just as busy right now. They might be doing less activity, but their hearts are still spinning like crazy. They're ticking, they're going, you know, so it's 
a lot of people, it's like, you know, because that's the state of rest. It's more about your heart that then flows out into your life. And then second thing I would say is, you know, Hebrew says that strive to enter the rest of God. Like it actually takes enormous activity and work in this upside down world we live in because of the curse, because of brokenness to enter into rest, meaning it is not a default. You have to actually practice it. You have to learn how to rest. And so, yeah, our family, we actually do a pretty traditional Sabbath, have the last five or six years, Friday to Saturday. We t I turn off my phone. We, you know, do a dinner, blah, 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 all this other stuff. But what I've learned over the years is like, I have to actually plan out that 24 hours or else I only last about three of them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I, if I don't plan out that 24 hours, then I'm just like three hours of like, oh, this is really beautiful and spiritual. And then I just start itching, <laughs> you know? When it's like, no, I go out and I garden and I do things. You get outside, you breathe and you know, all these different things. And so I think uh, rest has to be planned, active, pursued. Um, and yeah, and it's really cool because you have to be very introspective. What, what, what gives me life? How can I do that? How can I enter into that in a rhythmic fashion? And so I think that's mm, how we do it. That's good. So uh, without further ado, it's time for our segment. Wow, so that's happening. Calvin, what you got? So first, as states are opening up around the country, um, a new survey actually shows that the majority of Americans are more worried that a uh, social distancing measure is being loosened too quickly rather than not being open soon enough. So according to this survey, nearly three out of four Americans, 71%, say they're concerned about the government lifting social distancing restrictions too quickly, more than double the 29% who say that they're worried about these restrictions not being lifted quickly enough. Also, economists at Opportunity Insights, um, they're actually finding that um, in the weeks before states around the country issued the lockdown orders, Americans were already spending less, traveling less, and dining out less. Uh, small businesses were starting to cut employment, and some were even closing up shop entirely. So what this shows is that as people, people were effectively winding down the economy before the government even told them to, and that pattern suggests that official pronouncements will have limited power to open the economy back up again. So again, we have data coming in from states like Georgia, South Carolina, Oklahoma, and Alaska, which have started reopening, but have shown that um, very meager signs as far as businesses, workers, and consumers uh, returning to their old routines. So again, Perhaps such data suggests that Americans who are turning off the economy on their own may not readily reopen it, even if officials say they want them to do so. And now back to you, Marissa. We're going to shift to our discussion topic of the day. I'm going to read a short excerpt today of our boy, JK, his upcoming book. Uh, the book that is going to be coming out in July called American Awakening, Eight Principles to Restore the Soul of America. We've been calling that book kind of the manifesto of our movement. It really talks deeply about some transformative uh, core principles that we believe can help uh, change lives and also change the future of our country. So um, we're really excited for the book to drop for you all to, to read it. We can, you know, we'll be doing a whole bunch of interactive stuff around it because it, it's for people. It needs to get out into the hands of people. And we're excited to have conversations around with, uh, with folks around the world about the principles and about how we can come together in this time. But so this excerpt today, um, we're going to read something about that and then we're going to talk about it briefly. So here we go. While each individual has a fundamental value and dignity that comes from God, no one individual reflects the best of God's creation by himself or herself. In his blazing speed, uh, Usain Bolt, the great Jamaican sprinter, captures one facet of who God is. Albert Einstein, in his extraordinary abstract mind, reflects yet another facet. And Beyonce, singing and dancing in artistic imagination, captures yet another. 
and so on and so on through every remarkable character that we've discussed previously in this book and every person that you will ever know. So no one person is alone, quote, the image of God, but together, collectively, we are made in the image of God. If you can fully wrap your head and heart around that, it has the power to change everything. I'm not fast, but I can glory in bolt speed. I'm not wired like Einstein, but I can in some way enjoy and participate in his intellectual firepower. And obviously, I don't have Beyonce's skills. And I'm telling you right now, I've heard J.K. saying, so he does not have Beyonce's skills. Uh, But she too shows a part of who God is. You also have your part to contribute to that big reality. The idea of us together reflecting the image of God starts to make greater sense uh, of the words of Jesus, who told us that all the principles of all time are summarized in loving God and loving neighbor as yourself. Because we are all joint and equal participants in that transcendent and forever storyline. If we don't take being made collectively in the image of God seriously, we lose sight of our need for one another and our relationships with one another and God are broken and shattered. And consequently, the less that we reflect God, the less human we become. So, all right, that's the end of that excerpt. There's a whole lot there. Um, I really love the heart of this uh, excerpt because, sure, like in times of chaos or a pandemic, it's pretty clear that we need each other just to get through the day. But then when the situations change, when the pandemic passes, when chaos sort of, you know, abates, then we typically go back to the way that we always do things on our own. Um, But what I just read sort of shines this light on how we don't just need each other to meet our survival needs, but we actually need each other because there are elements of God that we will not see without truly seeing the other person. And that's really powerful. So guys, I want to find out from you this, that little piece of uh, that, that tidbit, that like revelation, was that something totally brand new to you? How does that strike you? And to go further, If that idea sort of rings true to you, what do you think might be blocking us, like individually and societally, from believing and living out that idea together? Dan, you were you were you were sharing big time yesterday. I'd love to hear from you. Great, Uh, yeah. So uh, it's not terribly new to me, but uh, some of that is is that I've spent a fair amount of time in recovery circles and. And in recovery circles, a lot of the language that we talk about and describe has to do with this idea of knowing ourselves and the fact that we can't often know ourselves unless we have people who know us around us that can remind us who we are. Oftentimes, the things that we reach out for, the stuff that that we use to try to fill a void is based off of a lot of the myths that we believe about ourselves. The things we've been told when we were kids or growing up, the failures we've had in life, the way society uh, tells the story about who they think we are and what sort of voids we have. And unless we have people that know us and can describe back to us who we are, we're going to start acting out of a, a false version of ourselves. And I think that's that's vital to our kind of flourishing as human beings is to say that we have to we have to have other people in our world who can do that. Um, it's a scary, difficult thing to do, but uh, I think it's really important. Um, and if we don't do that, if we're not in relationship, we I, I always describe it as we become stormtrooper number five. Uh, you know, like, and, and humans tend to be that we then start relating to people on these mass sort of categorizations rather than as just an individual person. And we start dehumanizing other people. And, and I think that's also where things like racial issues start to bleed in racial thoughts that 
cause people to act out of myths about who is an equal or equitable person in our world um, all come out of those myths that if we don't know who we are and we don't know who other people are, then we start doing things that are not uh, helping other people flourish. Yeah, definitely not godly. <laughs> if we're just working out of ourselves, definitely not godly. Jeff, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree, and I, I think I, I love how John is putting in the segment too, or I mean the, the the excerpt that one thing I don't like. Sometimes we can overplay the individualism, you know, in the church or even in the world, and that bothers me, you know, like because it's because it's good too, like, um, you know that uh, that yes, you are created in God's image and you're unique and beautiful and awesome, you know, but it's like it, it really is this collective image that I think God's trying to show. And there's been a lot of Hebrew scholarship on Genesis 1 that no evangelicals ever talk about. But the first time the image of God shows up is in a pair. It's not in an individual, right? It's in the image of God, in the image of male and female, he created them. Uh, so it's like, it's literally says the image of God is a, you know, a plural unit. Um, no one ever talks about that. We always use that verse to say, you're so individual and beautiful and amazing. And so, but I, but they're both, obviously, they're not, they're not, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, but I think we certainly are weighted one direction. So I'd love to really hold that together of man. Like you can't, I think it's really empowering to say you can't have an image of something until you put all the collective pieces together. It's almost like a mosaic. And that makes you need people more when you start thinking like that. And that makes you love people more when you start thinking like that, uh, appreciating people more. So all of that, I think, and I think John kind of nails it with how he, how he talked about it. Yeah. I love that. Calvin, I know you've been involved, uh, you've been involved again in the book process too, and you've been really close to this. What are your thoughts? What have you taken, again, spending all the time uh, with John, you know, alongside him as he's been writing? What what has that been like, especially as it pertains to this idea? Yeah, honestly, as, as John and I have written this book, it's been actually the most interesting in trying to live out these principles and this vision of who we can be, like right now, even amongst us, trying to do this togetherness thing and and see each other as as imprints of of this divine creator um has been has been honestly challenging which is why I actually kind of wanted to talk about the second question of like what gets in the way and for me personally I think the hardest part is this um this concept of lack uh, of lack and I'm not just talking about economically but even lack you know Dan was talking about lack in in value and identity, right? Like the, the concept of lack, I think, can apply to a bunch of different spaces. But when we we start to to live in that lack, that you know we haven't been provided for in every sense, um, whether it's again identity, value, worth, economically, um, you know, one's social identity in the in the more macro sense. I think I think that's when we start to see this idea of essentially choosing me over choosing you. And the way to do that, the way I can ultimately justify choosing me is that not to see who you, uh, who you are truly. And so I think, I think, yeah, that concept of lack seems, at least for me personally, always seems to get in the way or always seems to be present when I have a hard time loving my fiance, Sonny, loving you, Marissa, loving, loving John, loving, you know, JBJ, Dan, Jeff. It, it's always comes back to the fact that like somewhere I'm lacking somewhere and operating out of that. Yeah, I mean that's that's good. That's a good word. And I mean, also speaking to something that you said, Jeff, uh, that definitely connects to that, though, this idea that like we're very comfortable seeing ourselves in isolation as the yeah. as the me, as the it's 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 about it's about her, it's about her, mm -hmm. it's just about her. Um, but this idea that like 
that that the real life is in the collective, that like you might not even like know the real life if you're not in any sort of community um, and not just, you know, you and your you and your girls or you and your boys. But this idea of this larger community that there's a there's a us on on mass, there's an us together. And that if you don't see yourself as a part of that, perhaps you haven't even maybe even gotten a real sense of like the possibility of what life can be altogether. That's really powerful. You'd definitely be operating in lack and you'd definitely be thinking about yourself first and foremost. Yeah. That's real. And, you know, I think because uh, for sake of time, I think we should go straight to the line of the day today, people. I think we should. And uh, just for all of you guys out there who might have gotten a little lax, might have been slipping a little, we we switched it up today, did we not, Jeff? We did. We did. So, uh, great choice today. You went with a TV show. You went with a TV show. And this one actually gets mentioned. When you live in Hawaii, this, there's like three shows that people always mention to you or ask you if you know where it was filmed and all that stuff. And this is one of them. So great show, by the way. And it was filmed on Oahu, not Maui, if you were wondering. So without further ado, let's see the clip for Lost. We can't do this. Every man for himself is not going to work. It's time to start organizing. We need to figure out how we're going to survive here. But if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. It's real. It's real. It's who we are. We, we got to figure out how to do life here together, folks. And with all the, uh, the loss and the death and destruction of Corona, um, there, there is an opportunity as we come out of this to make things different. Things can be different if we want to coming out of this, and even if we start in small ways. So let's figure out how to do this life together. With that, it's time for music. Dan, who do you got for us today? Well, hello from Nashville. I will just say today I I was really excited. I I wasn't sure this was going to be able to happen. Um, But this is one of the bands that uh, or artist duos that I would say fall in my categorization as if you know, then you know. In other words, two incredible musicians that just have have done so much great songwriting and collaborating over the years um, and was one of the first bands that I kind of encountered when when actually part of my story, and not that this is about me, but uh, with Jars of Clay, we, we did a, a, a spotlight competition, which was a Battle of the Bands contest when we were in college. And I first kind of became connected to the Out of the Gray family because their sound person actually ran sound for us for the competition that we won. And that was was kind of gave us our start as a band. Um, And so they were some of the first people that I, that I really knew a lot about in the the Christian music space. They've had seven studio albums. I believe that number's correct. The last one was just, uh, was in uh, 2015, which was kind of a, 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 the grand experiment to come back and make a new record. It was called A Little Light Left. They, uh, they've collaborated with a lot of different artists on their own. Uh, Scott has collaborated with Wes King and Phil Keggy on projects. Uh, Christine was part of the Ashton Becker Dente project, which was just a fantastic record. They've been kind of a part of the soundtrack of, of my world for a long time. And I am just, uh, just incredibly excited to have them on. Uh, this is Scott and Christine Dente, also known as Out of the Gray. And it is so good to see you guys. Thanks for being a part of the show today. Thanks for asking us to do this. I, I got to say, I think I heard you make that speech, um, that lost the Jack speech to the, uh, and lost to the, to the Jars of Clay guys once. 
It, it happened every so often on the bus. We had to do it. So my first question uh, to most of the artists that I have on here, um, just because we're in such a strange season, is how are you guys holding up? How has the season been for you? Um, for some artists, they've they've come back and said, "Oh, it's been an incredibly creative time." The 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 idea of being isolated uh, has been a, a helpful thing in the solitary creative process. But for other people, it's it's just heightened their anxiety beyond where it's been before, and so it's been difficult. But what has it been like for you guys? I think for me, there's been several phases of all those things you just mentioned. There's so many ways to react and respond, and it depends on what news I allow myself to imbibe on which day that kind of tilts me this way or that way. I'm the kind of person that makes a list, so I like to have accomplishments at the end of the day that I've checked off. And there have been times when that's worked for me with this more isolated kind of life. But lately, it feels more like I don't want to make a list. I'll just see what I get done today and I can feel okay with that. That's brilliant. There's a children's book, I believe, uh, and the frog and toad are friends where one of the, the scenes I've seen the page where, where the, um, I think the toad basically gets out of bed and says, okay, I can check that off the box. And the box was wake up. So I feel like that's a good start for most people these days. So yeah. Uh, for me, I, I've I've lowered the bar a little bit for myself, which I don't keep it that high anyway. So it's kind of been fun in the business I'm in now, which is music licensing. I'm in the studio a lot collaborating in person with a lot of people. And in the last six weeks, we haven't been doing that. So we've had to be very creative on how we're sending files around and still managing to create. And so thankfully, you know, because of Dropbox and all the technology we all have in our homes, we all have to have a level of, um, you know, of, of knowledge to, to get things done. And so it's been challenging, but it's also created a new kind of creativity within this. I, I mean, um, Christine wrote a song for us a couple of weeks ago that nobody ever was in the room recording it at the same time from you know, we just, as, I, as we call it, sending it, sending it around the horn, you know, we sent it around the horn and we got bass drums and, and we went from there and, you know, sent it up to Arkansas for a vocal and, and, had it, and had it mixed. And so, you know, would it have been better if we were all in the room? Absolutely. But we were able to do it as well. So I, I've been writing a lot and both Christine and I have been um, spending a, a lot of time reading in the morning, more than we ever allow ourselves to normally and then I find a a, a deep, a, a fair level of denial is actually healthy for me if I don't, like Christine said, imbibing the news. And I think that's a great way to put it, because if I imbibe too much, it goes straight to my straight to my gut. And I don't mean like not in a weight gain kind of way. It goes straight to my gut in an anxiety kind of way. So I actually find that not taking in too much has been healthy for me as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably healthy for all of us to not... Especially now when, when everyone is an expert. Uh, everyone apparently has stayed at a Holiday Inn Express in the last couple of weeks and has become a, a, an, a expert in some field that they weren't actually designed to be in. But anyway. They have stayed at that Holiday Inn. They probably need to get tested. It's probably true. Yes. So you guys, uh, we would love to hear some music from you. Would you be willing to play us uh, at least one song? Absolutely. Um, we, we decided to... Um to try to find some <laughs> virus-related type lyrics. And we'll just leave that up to people to figure out what, what that means um, <laughs> as, we're, as we're doing this. Ooh, this is an out-of-the-gray classic, some might say. Great. And uh, more than ever, this one line that we wrote um, 
Sometimes it feels like all that I can hold on to is God's hold on me sometimes. So we'll go with that. Nothing's going to keep me from you. Oh, yeah. Sometimes life makes me crazy. I can't make sense of what my eyes see. All that I can hold on to is your hold on me. Tell me it's true. Nothing's gonna keep me from you. No matter what I'm going through, I won't be afraid. I know I'm on my way. Now, some things are worth waiting for many times i have heard it said all the trials of a lifetime can't compare to what lies ahead and the only hope Tell me it's true. Tell me it's true. Nothing's gonna keep me from you. No matter what I'm going through, I won't be afraid. I know. Yeah. Just briefly, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you guys are, obviously you're do, still doing songwriting. Scott, you alluded to it a little bit, doing uh, some of this film, TV, music. I just did a terrible job describing it, so I'm going to let you do that. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit more what you guys are, are doing these days. It's funny, about about 10 years ago, after, after Christine and I came off the road, and a, a while back, it was not that long ago, but we had one of those meetings where we sat on the couch and Christine said to me, I don't want to live on a bus after I'm 40. And I said, I don't either because living on a bus is for hobos. And, um, <laughs> you know, we had dragged our children all around the country and even the world several times. And they were starting to ask us, why don't we go anywhere anymore? It was like, because you've already been everywhere. Yeah. And so the transition to staying home was tricky. Um, uh, I know, you know that Dan, because, um, you know, you make your living on the road and, and it becomes a, a, not just the way of life, but it becomes your vocation. And so the transition into production took a while. 
and we might have spent some college funds just living, <laughs> you know, as well. <laughs> and but eventually, um, my business partner Ken Lewis and I started getting work writing for ABC Television, and we had to go fishing in another pond because in this pond we were kind of pigeonholed as you know either session guitar player or you know Christian musician, and so we eventually kind of made our way into the TV world. And at first I thought, well, great, now I'm a jingle writer, you know, but <laughs> it's the strangest thing happened. I started having more fun than I've almost ever had making music because we get to make everything. Because as you know, here in, in Nashville, it's um, way more than country and Christian music. And we have availed ourselves in the last 25 years of being here of great relationships with all kinds of musicians from, you know, electronica to classical to jazz and we're able to put together little teams to write just about whatever we need to. So that kind of steamrolled. And it's funny how everybody always says, I do film and TV. I don't know many people that get music in films. And we don't have much music in film, but we have plenty in television yeah. and commercial stuff and the internet. And it's been a blast. And it has actually opened up a whole new world of writing and and um, just being able to compose and produce all manner of music that I, I've just had such a great time in the last 10 years, especially the last five. So I can see, you know, and Christine and I, we're, you know, we're not, we're getting closer to 60 than 50, or at least I am. I, won't, I, I don't wanna, believe yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's not going backwards. I'll tell you that much. It's true. Yeah. But, and you know, we have, we have a grandson and a granddaughter on the way wow. and we're enjoying, I'm, I'm finding that the creative years beyond out of the gray have actually opened up all kinds of new vistas for, for me. And Christine has been writing a novel. So we're, we're so grateful to still be in the artistic realm after all these years. And it's really great. You know, when I, just to talk about, it, I realized, oh yeah, that is really great How, to be able to say that and be able to get up and, and be a creative person every day as our vocation is, um, I'll yeah. say it. It's a straight up blessing. Yeah. Well, I want to hear just brief, uh, Christine, I want to know, so, you, so you're writing, you actually are doing what most of us wish we could, which is have the bandwidth and the ability to focus enough to write a novel. Um, how, is, how has that process been for you? Where are you in the process at this point? Well, it's interesting you say that because I remember when the kids were little, uh, I couldn't even finish a thought, let alone, you know, maybe a paragraph of writing. Yes. And so they've since moved out and... Scott and I are still in the grieving process of having an empty nest, but we are enjoying uh, the creativity and the room to hear our own thoughts and let them finish and have conversations that last. And so I homeschooled our kids for all of their growing up years. So that was kind of a very big hole that opened up in my life. It was right. your it was your magnum opus. It was. So I had to find yes. a new one. And uh, so I started a blog a couple of years ago and I enjoy writing essays and thoughts. Uh, Good. What I'm thinking about these days is called Finding Life in the Bigger Story. Great. And then I tackled, I started two Novembers ago, a year and a half ago, I started writing a book about a woman who is has reached uh, a stage in her life where she's old and alone. It has nothing to do with me or what I'm projecting into my No, life, because but. if it's if it's, that's the case, then I'm dead in this yes. book. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, it was my challenge to myself to see if I could finish a novel, if I could write yeah. a story from start to finish. And I actually did. And it's been edited several times. I've revised it several times. And it's now in the process of being formatted for uh, ebooks and paperbacks and Excellent. however else I can do it. 
Well, congratulations on that. That's that's a huge it's a huge undertaking and an incredible accomplishment. Well, hey, would you guys be willing to play us one more song? We don't actually know any other songs. You don't but know we any could other do, ones. We right. could do that one again, I guess. Yeah, all right. right. I remember we wrote this in nineteen and ninety-three. And um I remember we were coming off of the road um about a you know, it's a pretty solid year of traveling. And realizing that what we really were longing for was um, was was real community, and I'm happy to say that we eventually found it and realized the importance of it. And so this is um, our take on community and what people need. This is called okay. "All We Need." So great. Scott, Christine, thank you so much for being a part of this with us. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I'm glad that you're healthy and you're you're hanging in there and it's been a good creative season for you guys. Thanks for letting us be part of this. 
Back to you, Marissa. Thank you so much, Christine and Scott. That was great. All we need, reach out to one another, share the love that's fantastic. All of you out there, again, remember that God is with us. God loves us. Enjoy the day. Uh, Remember, God's for you. God's for you. No one can be against you. And uh, we're all going to get through this together with God. Have your way, Lord. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening, a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, and you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, AmericanAwakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.